cents here per dozen per dozen so we'll have to do a side-by-side 339 this is true these are probably so these are the eggs you're buying these are not like the cheapest eggs available correct these okay. are the eggs that i get gotcha these are the last eggs we bought but uh yeah these are not where we normally buy eggs if you go to the this is the grocery store egg so yeah three dollars and 39 cents which is 28 cents an egg all right but yeah i cannot vouch for the uh, caloric integrity of the eggs from the grocery store <laughs> well, it's not so much the caloric integrity, right? It's the B vitamins and the a, vitamin A mm. that, um, like the, the retinol that only, it's not that only eggs like have, but yeah, egg yolks are like almost the sole source of um, retinol. Man, I love eggs. My yeah. Eggs are like the one thing that my, my daughter is pretty not picky about what she eats, but she will not eat eggs. Yeah, she'll get there. Yeah, my yeah, kids now, they they now will eat uh, raw egg yolks. Oh, like all right. Like if they're like if they're in a pinch and they're late to get to school, they'll just be like, all right, chug down gonna... an egg. Well, it takes like a minute to like separate the white out, but yeah, they'll, then they'll just like suck the yolk out. Suck, uh, suck the yolk down. That's uh, that's like survival level skills, like forestry. Well, the survival aspect of it is just knowing. Let your like knowing where you're getting your eggs, and so cause once you're good, it's like once you know your farmer, right? And you know that your eggs come from that process, and your meat comes from that process. You never have to think about whether you undercook your meat, and you don't have to think about eating egg yolks raw. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't. So I guess uh, I, wor- I see the warnings that you shouldn't consume egg yolks whenever <laughs> they whenever they give you uh, what cookie dough, but I can't say I've ever respected that. <laughs> I mean, if you don't know where your eggs are coming from, do not eat the yolks. Because of sal- salmonella, right? Well, or that, that is that I mean, is that what they say? Salmonella actually exists on the outside of the shell. Oh, but right, but um, for a variety of reasons, really, you, you don't know. <laughs> There's a variety of reasons why you should cook it, cook through everything. If you, especially if you suspect it's industrially processed and. You're not like really sure that it's, um, you know that you, that your eggs are being made on a farm. That makes sense. I mean, similar <laughs> but, similar but, to but water, but <laughs> similar to water. If you can't vouch for the source of the water, you should probably boil it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's it's one of those things, you know. Like there, we have the we have um, you know we have the guy in our meetup group who's the farmer, and you know. When I talk about looking at the oranginess of the egg, he's like, "Yeah, you know, but you got to be careful because these industrial companies they'll dye the eggs orange, and that's totally true, right? It's just like cheating. I haven't I haven't thought about what an industrial producer would do in over ten years. Fiat food. Yeah, you know, I've I've heard like nightmare stories of like the fake food in China, like the literally fake food that Chinese people eat sometimes. That's like boiled plastic or something." Did I tell you about my trip to Mexico last year? Uh, I don't. And I don't think so. I went to Mexico. It's the last time I saw fish, and it was four days in Riviera Maya. Fucking awesome! Um, and it's an all-inclusive resort. Um, but I discovered. I'm going to say discovered. I noticed, <laughs> or suspected, very early on that the food I was eating there was entirely fake. Really? I suspect. I suspected it because I wasn't feeling anything. And so I started talking about it with my buddies, and they're like, you know, you're normally out there, and you normally say fucked up shit, but you actually might be right on this one. And we spent like, you know, we were five days in this resort, so the first day I noticed it, and then we spent the next four days trying to, like, find real food. What do you mean when you say, like, it didn't feel, how, how did, what were you feeling that it felt like fake food? Like, you didn't feel full? Your stomach didn't feel full? Didn't feel full, didn't feel anything, really. Um interesting it's hard to explain exactly you know what you're supposed to feel when you eat food right, right? Like but, n- nourished i guess 
But when you all of a sudden don't feel that, and then it's like, my, you know, I was starting to make the argument with my friends that, you know, there's a lot of waste down here. And, maybe, you know, maybe the way they're okay with all that is if the food is like literally like in a, made in a fucking Play-Doh Where factory. was this in Mexico? Um, Riviera Maya, which is like a Cancun. Cancun area. Okay, gotcha. You know, it's a big all-inclusive resort. There, was, there were, you know, several thousands of people here for the for the shows. Hmm. Um, and then I started thinking that um, the next conspiracy theory is that um, they're going to be rolling out all this fake food in different locations around the world, and people will uh, will start getting them malnourished. But that'll be confused with like a pandemic when like everyone starts showing the same symptoms at the same time because <laughs> because they're eating fake food. That's an interesting idea to think about like is it what companies would like the normal food producing companies would make this who's making this fake food i've just like bill gates or okay gotcha. I yeah. really well i mean like what the, what they're doing with like, like synthetic meat i would argue that's pretty fake food all of this is in the name of feeding the world yeah not to get off the rails from the beginning here but right but it's like that like i we just have to have a segment of the show like like food food with Food with fundamentals. Fundamentals food. Because I dude, I could do an hour and a half like just on food. <laughs> and, and nobody if nobody stops me, it'll totally happen. <laughs> hey man. Everybody eats food. Um, That's like the, there's a reason that cooking shows are so successful. Everybody eats. I'm waiting for one person to who like I tell the story to to be like, Oh my god, I experienced the same thing in like fucking Croatia or somewhere. You know, and I'm waiting to like compare notes and it's like the same distributor or something some obscure company we find out like yeah like i'm ready to crack the case i just need like a couple of partners to compare notes with (laughs) well that's one of the beautiful things about bitcoin we're gonna the the bitcoin eventually will be able to like fund the like yo you want to research this go ahead like you have the money because you saved in bitcoin it's true unfortunately like we're sort of like i i guess i don't care if the rest of the world's eating this fake shit i just can't really care you're right. It's you like know? it's like I don't I don't want to eat it. Like don't. It's right. It's become a full time job just for me not to eat fake food. Right. So. It's unfortunate how much effort it takes to eat like eat closer to your like to shorten your calorie tree. Yeah, or just to know like to literally know what you're eating. It's, yeah. It's, it's a lot of work. So I'm looking at this list of things you sent me here. What what is pleb criticism? Okay. So I listened, I think on Friday, I listened to What Bitcoin Did. I don't often listen to that one. Yeah, um, I, it's What Bitcoin Did. That's with Peter McCormick, yes? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I don't yes. I don't listen to that one very frequently either. Uh, not a bit, but except that he had a guest on and whatever, this particular guest, I'd listen to anything he does. And that was Mr. Alex Svetsky. Love Svetsky. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, dude, if he went on CNN for a week, I, I would have to watch it, obviously, <laughs> right? I'd watch that. Heck yeah. Yeah, definitely. The only it. reason to turn on something like that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. What was he talking about on what Bitcoin did? Uh, so it was a, so he was talking about his book, which um, I'm really looking forward to called the Bushido of Bitcoin. And he has this premise really that like who basically the premise is if you take the hypothesis that Bitcoiners are going to be like the wealthy elite in a certain amount of years. Okay, I, I right? accept that premise. <laughs> but who are we going to be? Are we going to be rich dicks? Some of us will be. Right? Or are we because we are going to be that, right? Well, I mean, there's yeah, going to be like a Bitcoin can change you, but I mean it doesn't necessarily fundamentally change like you are who you are. Just because you got rich doesn't mean you're necessarily going to change. Yes, got it. So I don't want, like so I'm not going to recast the the whole conversation. I actually Peter kind of drives me nuts sometimes and like so he had this conversation with alex about um it was mostly a bitching and complaining about what the bitcoin community does and you know well okay because alex is sort of like saying you know like i'm growing i'm just not being as toxic these days right you can take that to mean whatever you want it's just probably just growing up yeah right but Peter's sort of like, oh, finally you figured out that, you know, you're a dick and you're, you, everyone who likes you is like, you know, ruining it for everybody or something like that. That's an so interesting anyway, way having, to read that. 
Well, so they had a conversation that I have been thinking about since since they had it, which is um, starting some kind of like gripes about grievances about the community. And Svetsky led in with like, yeah, well, he led with two things. Like this one thing, he's like, we are all Satoshi. Fuck you. You're not all Satoshi. I'm like, okay, I could accept that. <laughs> but then he's, <laughs> then he, there's only one Satoshi. But then he goes into this thing about plebs. He's like, the thing, he's like, fucking plebs. He's like, you're not a fucking pleb. A pleb is a peasant. You know, and he really like laid into this idea. And I respect him so much. This is Svetsky who's presenting this? This is Svetsky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, and I respect Alex Svetsky so much that even though I think that the most successful meme possibly in Bitcoin is the meme pleb. So what were what right. were plebs historically? They, they were the the plebeians in Rome is my is what I think of. Is that right? Yeah, the peasant class. Okay, and so uh, and the, so Bitcoiners have appropriated that term as a term of endearment. Is that what's going on? I think it, for me personally, I think it really relates to the fact that a you have rules without rulers, right? So you almost have you don't have this, you don't have this ruling class. Right. So there's a rejection of the ruling class. And I think in Bitcoin, it's also this idea that, you know, the plebs are going to get in before the elite because they figured it out. They figured it out first. So he's he's saying there's no ruling class. What's I mean, I agree that in a Bitcoin, in a hard monetary system, the concept of like a, a God nominated ruling class, like, oh, yeah, we're in charge because of some divine right. Yeah, that's going to go away. But the concept of like a, a like a ruling class from for like direction people people who are choosing like the direction of the species not every like that's not universal people that have that kind of vision there's always going to be a one percent of one percent mentally speaking yeah so i was thinking about i've been thinking about this like we had this thing a couple of weeks ago like what's a pleb right and what what are all the habits and you know you can you can definitely tell that we have respect for the word. Right. And what I think for what it does for Bitcoin. Um, I have thought about it since. And before this conversation, I thought to myself, like, do I care if Dylan LeClaire is a pleb? Like, I don't know if I care if he's a pleb. Like, I don't even care if he's like a shit coiner because I still want to read his. I'll still subscribe to his, um, you know, to his Bitcoin Pro, Bitcoin Magazine Pro. Because he is that, you know, he is that insightful and valuable, right? Sure. Like, do I care? Do I need Alex Svetsky to be a pleb? Do I need all of these? You know, there are certain people who are legitimately, I think, elite in their thinking. Mm-hmm. Dylan LeClaire and Svetsky yeah. come to mind. I can come up with many more, but I'm just the saying. The cream like, do I will need, naturally rise to the top. I don't need these people to necessarily say, hey, I'm a pleb, <laughs> just like you, right? No. Um, so so let's just take that as a given, right? So not it's not necessarily to say that it's not to, like a lobster trap to hold everybody down and say everyone's the same, right? I think it's more of the just the notion that the meek shall inherit the earth and because the meek found bitcoin before the wealthy did Right. It's, it is a badge of honor in that way. And we do respect the fact that there is no there, there you know, there is no elite class based on in wealth. Bitcoin. Yeah, there's no administrators in Bitcoin. Right. We're all going to fight out our, our, our worldviews and some people will emerge as elite. Right. Like, yeah, that's like the, you know. the concept behind the Internet is no nobody knows if you're a dog on the Internet, like the best ideas in a free market, the best ideas should win. I don't need Matt O'Dell to be a pleb. Right. Yeah. We don't need we don't need anybody to be right. a club. And people were holding up Elon Musk thinking he was some kind of icon he wasn't and then it turns out he's he's a shitcoiner and that broke a lot of people's hearts. But I mean yeah. it's the like kill your heroes. Well, Nick Carter too, right? Yeah, Nick Carter. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, his star but, flew too close. But like even like, you know, Nick Carter's crime wasn't like shitcoining. His crime was basically like lashing out and saying, fuck all you people, you all suck anyway. <laughs> That's Yeah, his, his crime right. was ego. He was saying, hey, like, fuck all of y'all. Like, I, I have an idea that is right. And it's like the world pushing back. But he was an elite thinker. And he, I think he is an elite thinker. So, I mean, take that for whatever it's worth, right? 
I mean, elite elite thinking is no insurance against building up an ego. That's right. Well, ego, but and here's the thing, right? And I I, I think I know because I I read and listen to Svetsky so much. I think I can guess why he hates this term so much. And I just, you know, he hates the idea of ego death. You know, he believes right. Just people should. He's writing this book about warrior culture, right? And that you know, wanting to. Um, take um, discipline and practice from warrior culture, even though it's even though we're not at war, right? But in order to preserve what, like the values that have made the Bitcoin community, the pleb community, I'll just say what it is now, like right? samurai culture. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you're um, a warrior even when there's not a war. So ego is necessary, right? And of you and you. And then you need to let the, you know, the people with the elite skills, um, you know, rise to the top and let people, let people know them, right? So, and if people go along thinking they're just plebs and they're peasants, I can see them. I can see the mentality. I can see them. In, I can see Svetsky's mentality. It's like this: people are just dooming themselves. Like, why do they want to be like peasants? People should want to be elite. Great. I mean, I, I would argue a natural elite is going to see through that. It's like, okay, yeah, I, I call myself a pleb, but I, I, if a pleb... As do I. Yeah, by your... But, I mean, if somebody's using it as a pejorator or, I mean, like, is saying that, oh, you're just one of the common, it's like, no, I, I disagree with that. Like, I, I think looking at your average... What's the, the George Carlin? Like, look at your average person and then realize half of them are even dumber than that. Like, yeah. uh, ego is a tool. Like, Bitcoin is a tool. Um, once once you're aware of your ego, you yep. can harness it in order to be the person you need to be in a situation. It's like, oh, this situation requires for uh, me to be more assertive, or this situation requires me to be uh, to be more submissive and passive and sit back. But having the presence of mind to have that curb on your ego and be able to swap into these different roles and not just be maintaining this illusion of who, like this this illusion of who you are, like it's. It's it's good to rule your ego and not be ruled by it, but that, that's, that's right. what I think Svetsky is talking about. The elite in fiat culture have no idea how fake their shit is based on. No, yeah, they've they're right. but I mean they're like they're running bad code in their brain. They've they believe the lie. Yeah, they've been fed bad data their entire lives. It's like you're special. I, I don't think it. I don't think. You know, I don't think I, I like pleb, and I like that we have it. I don't know if I'm projecting myself into the world of Svetsky's book, the future, when we're that when we are that successful. The idea of a pleb is a useful thing to, for yeah. like the, the hiding in a crowd. It's like we're we're all in this together. But like it, of those like of those in that crowd, there are natural leaders, and it's like I mean the the vilification of manliness in modern culture is it, it's like okay, well, that's a real terrible thing. Like I could be upset about it. Or like the real the real men in culture, you know what? We're gonna get through it. We're gonna it's like fine. You you can vilify me, but I'm going to keep going because I'm, that's what a man does. A man perseveres. So it's yeah. it's the similar. I wanted to explore this thing with you because I know you know you and I view plebhood similarly. And I, yeah, I wanted to explore this thing with you. Heck yeah. No, I, so I, we're both we're good with plebs for now. I think right. Yeah. Maybe we should always just in the back of our mind ask ourselves: Are we holding ourselves back or are we thinking ourselves too small and that's something people should always be asking themselves oh man yeah that's a that's a difficult question to ask yourself on a repetitive basis yeah and that probably is leads into number two (laughs) and you're probably you're probably like what the fuck does that even mean why bitcoin needs to think about risks other than banking so so out of the ashes of (laughs) like be like i'm proud of being a pleb is I'm. I have been thinking very hard for the last year about like what the fuck am I doing here? You know, there is. You know, here, as in, as in, what is in your in job? Wor- as in, in the your... world and in Bitcoin. Let, okay. Right. This is a world where Bitcoin is what it is, and it's becoming what it's becoming. There's like you know you go through this thing like should I try to get a job in Bitcoin? And it's like at some point I realized, you know. It's not going to happen unless I fucking make that happen. And I'm not going to, you know, there's no job posting that like is looking for me 
fundamentals. Not not that's just not going to happen. And you know, I I so I started writing and write you know thought my thoughts on a lot of things. Um, you know, I have a twenty eight year career in risk. Uh, started in pensions, um, and then have been working on this thing called variable annuities for the last eighteen years. And so I've like so I, you know I'm an actuary. I've seen financial systems fail. I've seen rational people ignore the solutions they would have needed to prevent them from failing. Right, and you know I've been involved in Bitcoin now for you know. 16 months, right? You've been around the legacy block, but now you're realizing there's another block that you want to start walking around. Yes. And so, you know, I really have like enjoyed the last 16 months. I like the macro conversation compared to what I got in fiat. It's like, it's like the best, (laughs) you know, like getting to like, getting to just turn on like here, like people like Lawrence Lepard and shit like that. Just talk about macro. It's just like incredible. You know, I used to subscribe to banks and their papers and all that shit and it's like $25 a month for Dylan LeClaire is like better than anything I ever got from any bank okay it used to, when I was first getting into finance and trying to wrap my mind around like the legacy financial system yeah like that was one of the first realizations I had of how difficult it was to find what I considered high value content whether that was yeah. just charts like good charts like I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna have to start making my own because the the stuff that's publicly available is not great. And yeah, the same thing. The voices, the kind of voices I was. It's yeah, Bitcoin is the great equalizer. Yeah. Now there are so and there are obviously elite people. There's the Safedines and there's the, you know these people that are just so good at breaking it down. But what I have recently been discovering, right, as I think through my own experience, is the focus and it's. It's the reason Bitcoin exists. So this is what it's important that the focus is where it is. But the focus is, I think, exclusively on banking failures. Almost a myopic focus, right? When people think about macroeconomics, people think about what's going to happen when we raise rates. Of course, people think, oh, my God, OK, well, what bank's going to go down? I mean, yeah, well, that's certainly the trendy topic now with bank failures and in recent news. It's obviously a very important topic. It's very important to understand it. Right. It's important to understand that risk. And I think anyone, people who, that's why Bitcoiners are so ahead of everybody else, because they understand what's going, they understand counterparty risk. They understand how the banking system works. They kind of understand how most of the financial system works. Bitcoiners see the building on fire and are willing to say, hey, that building's on fire. And then now we're looking for what other buildings are on fire. So it's maybe, it may, it may be that, um, it may be that I'm meant to give some perspective from the things that I've seen, which are not well known. They're not pop because nobody makes TV shows about actuaries and insurance. I people. don't. Yeah, I, I can say my, my knowledge level of what you do is quite low. There was a movie. <laughs> Jack Nicholson was the actuary and he was so good at this being this lifeless, this lifeless thing. Um, but yeah, nobody really knows, and I, the the risk of the outside of counterparty risk is just I I think maybe not a well trained muscle, and um, so you know I was like I was on Noster going back and forth with some people on this idea, um, you know it's likely that in a Bitcoin standard. There's no insurance. Like, there's almost no insurance. <laughs> there's, that makes sense to me. Right. Insurance does not make sense in a hard monetary system. Well, that's not entirely true. Okay, I can make a case for certain kinds of insurance that have been written about in Austrian economics books because they are they could be on par with the government in terms of protecting private property. Okay. Right. So uh, I mean, in, in me thinking about how a system like that could work, it's like, okay, so in a hard monetary system, why would I put a Bitcoin up in a third party to hold in case I get in trouble in the future? Oh, you would never. Or, the, or they'll never, give it back to me. You would never try to insure a Bitcoin in that way, right? That would, it's more of, you still would insure other things. So, you know, there's this thing called crowd health. It's very popular in Bitcoin, right? 
So I think you will. So the question is, A, what do you see in the insurance world, in a, in a, in a Bitcoin world? Because crowd health is still a fiat solution, right? And right. the reason why it works is because fiat is so dysfunctional. That it's, 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 just a, it's just a better, it's just like a way better fiat solution that does use Bitcoin, but it's, it uses Bitcoin to create an outstanding, like just an incredibly better fiat insurance repeal. So you mentioned risk other than third-party risk. Well, other than banking, really other than banking. Oh, and so the reason why I think it's important, it's not necessarily like, um, it's not so much knowing that AIG failed in 2008, right? And the government also kind of bailed them out as well, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not so much understanding that. I think it's. Imp- I think the reason it's important is going to be because... I think that the average scam, when you, we have like three more billion people in Bitcoin, right? The, the, the typical scam, I believe, is go, are going to be insurance um, programs that are either stupid, wrong, or flat out scam. So, the, you know, look at last year, you had Celsius that was essentially posing as an insurer for your keys, right? That's that was their that was like their big pitch, right? Don't trust yourself with your keys. Leave them with us, and we'll take care of them. Right? Okay. Yeah, I remember that kind of. Right. I mean, so that's like an example. That's an example, and I think like stable coins are a big example of like quote unquote insurance, right? Well, trust trusting in some sort of insurance process. Yeah. So uh, just you can extrapolate into you know ten years from now when there's three billion more people on Bitcoin and they don't have the adversarial thinking that we did, and they're going to be bombarded with, I think, all kinds of scams that even the even the OGs who don't really get like how insurance companies have just, or not, how insurance systems have failed, right? May not, I certainly don't. Yeah, may not see through these things so quickly and so easily, and... I was just and you know just talking about the bailout uh, the BlackRock bailout last summer with the UK pensions. Um, that's another reason why this came up this weekend was because of James Lavish on um, Breedlove's podcast. Yeah. Um, there's a giant misunderstanding of what happened, and who cares if people really understand what happened? I don't know if it really matters, but maybe it does. So it's probably worthwhile. Um, it's funny. You know, he said something. He said, first of all, I, I, was, I was shocked. Like, this thing called LDI, he referred to it, said it stands for Leveraged Debt Instruments. That's the first time I ever heard anybody say that. I had been hearing it and as liability-driven investments forever. I'd never heard anybody refer to that to the point where I think it's wrong. I mean, yeah, was he referring to a separate thing that just had a, a similar acronym? Or was he, no, he was just using he, it incorrectly? I think he was using it incorrectly. And I just, like, you know, you know, we've, this is like, I think this is our fifth podcast. We haven't released any of them. But I know I said something wrong on number three. And it's been bothering me. <laughs> okay. And no one's even heard it. We haven't released it. But I said, um, I said that Merrill Lynch got bought by Barclays when they got bought by Bank of America. Mm. <laughs> and it's been like, it's like been nagging away. Like it's been bothering the shit out of me that I said something wrong on one of these things. Well, if anybody's commented about it now, not, now you can point to this point and be like, not, not told you. Yeah, I think I've been more, but what my point is, people should probably be, I don't know, a little bit more thinking about what they're saying. And maybe it doesn't matter. Like I said, maybe it doesn't matter if people really understand what happened in the UK last summer, but I tend to think it probably does. And so I don't think that it's, I think that it's one of those canary in the coal mine type things where if you have a false assumption somewhere, right, then you are starting to build on sand. So it might not matter, like, in the big picture. Like, there's no direct, like, well, you know, no one's going to make a wrong decision. It's just a matter of you probably want not not to build such confident argument on something that 
is not necessarily correct, right? I'm sure that I have said things incorrectly in the past, but I mean, in my mind, as long as what I, the gist of what I'm attempting to communicate. I was having a conversation with my cousin earlier this week. He gave me a ride home from the Philly area. And uh, I, like, looking back on it and, like, scanning over the conversation in my mind, I realized that I said something was the Senate when it should have been the Congress. Um, pretty sure he understood the the conversation, like, what I, what I was communicating. It was, like, it's not... A, yeah, like, somebody could have, like, if there was somebody listening with a comment system, they could have, they could be like, um, actually... Yeah, great but, example. No, so great yeah, examples. Let me clar- I'm not going to spend my whole time, like, worrying about that. No, like, I get it. So let me clarify what I mean, because I do not think this is a... Te- I don't think this is a technical mistake. I think it's a... You've fun- learned something fundamental since then. I, well, no, I believe that they're... I believe they're making a fundamental mistake. And I don't want to be like attacking, you know, Greg Foss and James Lavish. It's like, you know, like I love these people. And I think they're generally right about what they're saying. But they're, when we go back to what happened in the UK, right? So this is about root cause attribution. Okay. And what they would tell you the root cause attribution is, is essentially over leveraged investments. So they were um, trying to get as much kind of. They would say you, they were doing something similar to what Silicon Valley Bank did, which is over leverage in a low yielding bond to get more yield. Right. Okay. And what what are you what is your argument for what happened? Well, so you have to zoom out and say so you don't pension investors as well as bank as well as banks. Okay. They don't invest in a vacuum, okay? And in pensions in particular, they invest to match, they, they try to match their liabilities, or they're, at least they're supposed to, okay? And when I was in this game 18 years ago, they were very, they were not doing this at all. And, they um, were not matching their assets with liabilities? Correct. And so they were running a really large mismatch where like a, a drop in interest rates, say a 400 basis point drop in interest rates, which then which is exactly what happened from the time I left to 2008, right? Causes would cause a 50% increase in your liability without changing without without paying off any assets really. So there's a big mismatch between the asset and the liability, okay? And mm-hmm. so what the what we were trying to do is to get plans to um, either use derivatives or use their you know use their assets to um, increase duration, okay? And so when you increase duration, then you're you are um, you're going further out in the curve, and if you're if it's upward sloping, which it hasn't been for a year, but you know, you're getting more of a yield, okay? Right. Um, but then if rates go down, you're going to start seeing like 30, 40, 50% returns, right? If, if rates go down enough. But you're doing that not to just enhance the return. You're doing it to match actually what's going on in the liability. If the liability is going up, you're trying to provide a return that matches with it, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and as long as as long as the uh, your bank depositors don't come and call your bluff, you shouldn't. I mean, as long as you can keep raising what which you right, need now, for the derivative payments, which can't happen in a pension. So there's no run on a pension. Right. Okay. Right? So that's why it's a it's a safer practice. It's a little it's a little different. With the, you have much longer much longer liabilities. You're 30, 40, 50 years in a pension mm-hmm. plan, right? But you're not going to get run, right? Um. So we were really trying to get this practice implemented called Liability Driven Investment, acronym LDI. Okay. And um, the incent- so the problems, the, it, it, it really didn't take, especially in the U.S. It definitely, it, it started to take in the U.K., but in the U.S. it didn't take because the accounting was, uh, I, can get into, I can do a whole thing on this, but the accounting, there were incentives to continue, there were incentives to actually bear as much risk as you could. Um, the UK didn't have those incentives, and they took on 
they started to adopt LDI more, but I basically left the whole field because I couldn't believe how incom- I couldn't believe that CFOs were telling us, "We know you're right, but you know my incentive is to keep doing what we're doing." And I was like, "Oh my God, these people are all fucking doomed." Okay. And banks in Europe were doing this because they had a greater demand for yield. Insurance, no, no, no. insurance companies. Insurance doing- company, well, insurance companies in Europe were doing this because they they had a greater demand for yield. No. Because they wanted to um, keep their pension, they they wanted their pension plans to be well funded, and so they wanted to be able to track the liability. If the liability went up, if rates went down, they wanted to be able to track it. They wanted okay. to be able to provide those returns to to match the to match the increases in the liabilities. So what happens is if you then rip the liability out and you just look at a bunch of assets, then what you do see is an institution that just use leverage, right? It's all you, that's what you see. And then you have this, um, you have this misattribution of what the root cause is, okay? Um, what I haven't, like, I literally haven't read a single news item or heard a single person ask what happened to the liabilities of these pensions. It's almost, it's almost like nobody. nobody Is that public it. information or? Yeah, would... yeah, it would be public information, and so the pro actually, and so what happened? By the way, so what happened in August? Right, it's not that it's. In order to really, um, it's the investments aren't enough to get the duration, and so they use. Derivatives, right? They use swaps, swaptions, to, you know, to accomplish this goal of getting this long duration, right? And what happened was that their, they basically, their liquidity uh, dried up when rates came up. So when rates came up, they had they they risked getting liquidated on these hedges. So they had a dramatic need for cash to make. So what the government didn't want was what they basically BlackRock convinced them that they shouldn't allow them to just be naked, and then, you know, be unhedged. Only to see rates go back down when money printing starts again, and then now you have this li- now you have this liability growing again with no assets backing it. House of Cards. Yes. So I, I think that's a very different story than. These companies were just greedy, and they were leveraging for to get more yield. So I don't know if the difference matters that much. I just don't know that, you know, that's not, um, you know, it's not, it, it's not saying Congress when you met the Senate, you know, it's it's a complete change in narrative and root cause attribution. So I think I'm so, and the thing is, I'm not going to be like. You know, if I was like 15 years younger and didn't experience the things I did in my career, I might be like, oh, I'm going to make a living like going on podcasts and shitting on James Lavish and Greg Foss and saying they were wrong about this thing. It's like stupid. I'm not going to do that. You know, <laughs> like I want to tell the story the right way. And so I may just have to write, I actually might write a book about non bank risk. And what I've seen. Do you think non-bank risk is is to an extent that the actual inflection point could come from a non-bank area? Well, yeah. Well, first of all, the global financial crisis, I'm not going to say it was caused by non-bank risk, but it was greatly accelerated and greatly aided by insurance company participation and by insurance market risk. Them rushing to cover their, their size of the bets. No, the the regulatory arbitrage made it so that insurance companies wanted um, they wanted to have the CDSs because they didn't have to post capital for them. That's why AIG just st- you know they were a willing buyer. Mm-hmm. They were just a willing buyer of almost an unlimited amount of um, CDOs, CDSs, and all of those vehicles that exploded in 2000 from 2005 to 2008 um it arguably would not have gotten to the level it did without non-bank 
participants. Where are those equivalencies today? If a similar thing played out, would it be worse? Probably, because everything's so much bigger, you know? So, potentially. I don't, you know, I, I, it's hard to have your finger on something like that. Like, the pension system still somehow limps on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the difference between banks and insurance companies, I would say, though, is like insurance companies at least are, they've, they're capitalized. You know, they're capitalized more than banks are. Um, their shit is sold fairly, at least somewhat honestly, but they're, you know, they're incompetent. And they're, you know, they're just like moronic and incompetent. So I wonder if by the time I'm done writing this book, right, it all of a sudden we realize what how risky this thing is, and all of a sudden it comes out at the right time. It's like I, I wish Foss or uh, that, I wish somebody would like get on and talk to you about this. I would love to talk to Foss. Like I want the one time I really wanted to talk to him is I heard him say, you know, the actuaries are going to figure this out, guys, and I like. I think I sent a large boost to that podcast just to say, I hope Greg Foss reads this. The actuaries are not coming to figure this out. Uh, they're the problem. They're not the solution. I, I said the same thing to Ed Dowd, you know, who, uh, you know who Ed Dowd is? I, I know the name, but I... He's the guy. He He's the uh, former BlackRock analyst who has been like on the front lines of analyzing analyst reports on insurance companies with regards to vaccine deaths and ah okay that's why i know his name and that yeah and it's like people make the mistake thinking that um like i read i remember reading uh joe mercola's book about emfs and thinking like that the um the verizons you know these companies are going to figure out um, somebody's going to figure out, like the, he thought the insurance companies would figure out that there'd be higher claims, you know, with um, just, you know. Different wireless technologies. There, there's this idea that insurers are like really smart and when they get a bunch of claims, they figure out what the problem is. And it's totally bunk. <laughs> they don't necessarily infer risk from claims? They just don't know what the fuck they're doing. I, I could tell you firsthand, I mean, I'm in mortality committees and they're looking at they're looking at the data they're looking at mortality data you know and they're not a single one of them is thinking oh my god there are access vaccine deaths and maybe we should you know like that's what the conversation we should be having is do we really think do you know do we think this vaccine program is really caused a change in mortality right that we should be thinking about for the next five years and no one's thinking about that. It's like, oh, we'll just apply an improvement for that one year, and then we'll just see what happens, you know. Yeah, it's all it's all a game of robbing one hand to pay for the other. Yeah, there's no critical thinking. So what I'm saying, like, so, yeah, there's so many things. Back to, like, the, like the Greg Foss of the world, who's another guy, like, just love, love. You know, he's one of my spirit animals in this game, for sure, like Isvetsky. But, like, the actuaries are not coming. They're not figuring anything out. And, um, you know, it might be worth relooking at what what pension funds are actually doing. And, you know, maybe he is right and maybe they maybe the liability is gone. No one's thinking about it anymore. And it, it got perverted into a strictly a yield play. Maybe it's that's also- what happened. It's possible that we'll never know the entire story until like a hundred years out. I mean, it's possible right. there's big, like, massive components to this machine that's falling over that we can't see because they're invisible to us right now. Yeah, I mean, he see, you know, he saw Ontario investing in fucking Celsius. Yeah, right. So, like, I don't blame, like, that. You know, you see that, you don't have to critically think that much about how fucked up, <laughs> you know, about how, like, the biggest pension plan in Canada invested in fucking Celsius. And any Bitcoiner who's been in Bitcoin, yeah, it's, anybody can see that. Yeah, I mean, so I don't blame them for just looking at these systems and saying they're fucking morons and any, everything they do is fucking stupid. Right. But I would just maybe say, well, maybe let's spend another five minutes talking about the reality that there also is a liability and these things do work together. The moronic problem with the liability is we still won't know what impact 
the UK pensions had probably for another like six months because the liability doesn't get cal- gets calculated like once a year, nine months after the fact. Wow. So like, who gives a shit anyway, right? Like, who gives a shit in September of last year? What the actual what some actuary is going to say their liability is going to be in eighteen months? So the whole thing is so fucking dysfunctional. You know, I'm not trying to like pick at James Lavish. You know these smart guys, right? But I do, I like, I want to find a way to just add like a degree of extra nuance that I don't think is currently in this conversation. It definitely feels, in my experience, the more attention I pay to an area, there are no, there are no adults or experts in the room. Like us imagining that there are just, oh, these insurance experts at the top of these companies, oh, these risk experts, like, no. Maybe at one point there was when when they were small enough that there could be one person to hold the entire thing in his head. Maybe there was some semblance of risk understandment then, but yeah, everything I look at from from the government to insurance to banking, to, there there it's there's no adults. We're all no. It's too of, perverted by fiat. I was almost gonna say there's probably some small insurance company that where they they do know what they're doing, but probably. But I mean, because everything's obscured by fiat. It's like, who knows? Yeah, good luck. Anything that's so regulated and especially like the public companies are the worst, the worst of the worst. To find real signal at this point, you've got to look outside the bounds. It's like any any real signal at this point, they're building on, on top of Bitcoin and waiting for the next system after this one falls down. Yeah. So you have a company like Anchor Watch, right? Rob Hamilton's company who is insuring exchanges. They are insuring their Bitcoin, but they're insuring... They're, they're insuring it in fiat because they're not crazy. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, I wouldn't insure Bitcoin. Yeah, it, you know, but they're, you know, they, but they're like not in it. They're not like a financial company. They're a, they are a more of a software company, right? And the way they're implementing sort of the insurance is by um, sort of redesigning the multi-sig and sort of procedurally insisting on their process and it'll essentially eliminate claims if they if anyone actually follows their process it's really interesting what they're doing actually how quickly as hyper bitcoin do you think it's like a, an equivalency line a one to one ratio as hyper bitcoinization happens that the number of insurance companies drops <laughs> No, I don't think I don't think it's going to go like that. But I think that, no, and I, my people are going to wait till their last um, to get their last check. So these companies will exist as long as they as long as they're paying checks out. Okay, so forever. Yeah, Bitcoin has no top because fiat has no bottom. They're going to keep printing money forever. It's more like the question is: in hyperinflation, is anyone going to? actually cash that check or are they just going to wipe their ass with it does it matter if you're getting if you, your company hasn't paid you in six months they finally give you back pay and it's like great i can buy some laundry detergent with this yeah so the other reason i want to write the book potentially is so i can deeply think about um well what is like nobody wants to buy anything nobody wants to buy anything that's going to pay out dollars 10 years from now right no anyone who has a fucking brain cell i certainly wouldn't will want Satoshis, right? So how does that all work? And I know I'm not the first person to ask that question, right? But I am maybe one of the first people with a long experience in insurance to think deeply about it, potentially. So I think that, because I think that's a very interesting question, right? Like how do you, I know people now are trying to jam it into the current structures of policies. Like, oh, how do I get... How do I get Bitcoin into an insurance? How do I get an insurance product that pays out in Bitcoin, right? I mean, that's that's certainly people are asking that now. Yeah, there's a that is kind of part of the current paradigm is yeah. How do we interact? These two systems have to interact in parallel for some some period. Whenever I think of that question, I just think it's called Bitcoin. Just buy Bitcoin. I mean, I don't right you. Know, but I do see why insurance that is the best the whole, insurance policy. Just buy some Bitcoin. Like if I want something that's going to pay me out in Bitcoin in ten years, I'm just going to get, buy something called Bitcoin. But 
you know, I can see why in the current system that allows tax advantages with, you know, that go through this insurance process and all that stuff. And I just kind of like, you know what? The second they see Bitcoin going through that, they're going to shut that shit down anyway. I, I don't know. I just don't know if it's worth innovating inside of the current system. If, if there's money to be made there, if there's money to be squeezed out, somebody's going to do it. There is money to be made there. There is money to be made there. There's definitely v, uh, VC money behind figuring out these products. Um, I just don't know if it matters long term, right? Yeah, yeah it's, it's not an area that I would invest my money. Like, it's only going to be after the war, really, that, the, you know, the government will incentivize. I mean, there's a reason a government incentivized people to buy life insurance. Why is that? <laughs> well, that's a good question, right? I mean, it, you clearly see that they did, right? Because they offer complete tax, they, like a complete tax haven, right? Right. That you can pass your money on without having to pay an estate tax. I mean, my my assumption with with all of those incentives is just they want you to stay inside their their system. They don't want you to go outside their their fence. Well, I think when when they did this, they were you know it wasn't as adversarial. The government was a little bit more a little bit more um, paternalistic, right? They wanted to keep money inside the country. That's one way to do it. They wanted to incentivize saving, believe it or not. I know that doesn't sound right now. You know, I mean, I, I'm definitely aware. Yeah, the, the government we have now is not the government we have always had, and we have had better examples of leadership than we currently have. I mean, but pensions and 401ks and life insurance are all really giant incentive schemes for saving. And certainly in my lifetime, yeah, the 401k has been like the, like you're doing your patriotic duty by contributing to your 401k. You know, I don't. I, I'm hoping to spend time deeply thinking about insurance and all that, you know, and like how it fits to Bitcoin. And I feel like I'll do that if I force myself to write about it. Uh, it's one of those things where I think to myself, no one else is coming to do it. It's got to be me. Man, that's one of the things that, like, I have. I've also identified like several areas in inside of Bitcoin that like, why is nobody addressing this? Yeah, like, it's the flip side. Turns out those those are the things that I have to address. I guess. Yeah, this is the flip side of the kind of the dis, the desperate plea. Nobody's coming. Yeah, right. Nobody's gonna. Nobody's coming to do our job or figure this out for us. Right. Yeah. Also, there are things that we are uniquely put on this earth to do potentially. Yeah, agreed. Right, and no one's coming to do that either. Yeah, nobody can do your job except you. That's right. So that's number two. <laughs> Like I don't, I don't know if a book is the best medium for that. This, this seems like a conversation that is like of the time and of the moment. Well, it's true. I think that this is very early. It's like hard to you, like you. I feel like the process you just went through and asking me like, do you really think anyone gives a shit about this this stuff? Like, I don't know if I. I don't think so now. I don't. I think it's hard to. It's hard to get people to care about something like that now. I'm f- wondering that if I spent two years doing this that this would become a much more visible like I would be able to meet the moment then with the book I def- for sure there is going to be people interested in piecing together what the hell they just lived, lived through but yet like and right now where society is like like the people are going to be so busy keeping their head down to avoid incoming fire that yeah I, looking at the battlefield from a bird's eye view is not going to be something that mo- most can do I think but yeah, there's. I, I agree. Like, I think that's a good idea to. If if you have a perspective on it, like you, if you see the game board clearer than most, then yeah, people, that's valuable. Yeah, and the, and if I don't do it in this way, then it's just gonna come off like I'm attacking James Lavish for saying the like Senate when he meant the House. Well, that's <laughs> and I don't. That's not necessarily. It's okay. Like, like it's okay to disagree in Bitcoin. I understand, but I don't want to like be one of these nit I don't want to be nitpick like a cur is nitpicky right I want to be able to express I want to be able to really make the argument the right way in my opinion right it's, you know so yeah yeah finding a way to frame it that you don't come across as whiny I don't think like this might be a potentially like maybe long form podcasts is a good medium for this but after it's been written and thought out right but like 
tweets isn't going to do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's tweets aren't aren't the best medium for a lot of types of conversations. And yeah, something as complex as talking about the root cause of the finance, like the end of the legacy financial system. Yeah, it sounds even with Elon increasing the tweet maximum tweet length, I think that's a a, a large ask. Yeah, I actually didn't even notice. I was going to say even with Noster having no maximum at all. Yeah, right. right. That's not. Yeah, I love that about Noster. But it's so funny in Bitcoin where it's either like, it's either like 150 characters or it's a three-hour podcast. <laughs> it's like, are we going to do this? Well, if we're going to do this, it's you know, it's a full podcast. <laughs> if we're really going to talk about this, right? Otherwise, we're just going to shit post. Yeah, if you're if you're if you have something small, right? It can go on Noster. It can go on. It can go on Twitter. Having a. Uh hour plus conversation is reserved for the uh, Twitter spaces or the podcast. So yeah, I thought that would be an interest. That was a cool thing to tease out. Um, I like it. No. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested to hear more. You're uh, you're definitely outside of my wheelhouse of expertise, but I mean, I, I understand enough of what you're talking about on the edges to, to, to uh, grok what you're saying. I, I think. Yes. I was bl- like, I was blessed with a combination of one, a total inability to communicate and then, t- and two, ch- uh, choosing a career that nobody would fucking know what I was talking about. So, like, there's almost no way to bring this in. You you sound you sound perfectly fitted to be a bitcoiner. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, I, it, you know, it's like I only came to discover this in 2022. But yes, I'm still early. Heck yeah. Yeah. Well, I went to a, a meetup this afternoon. Yes, I really wanted to go to that. It was really good. Uh, like, I've been. I think one of the reasons why the meetups that I was running weren't as successful as I wanted them to be was the location. We were doing like the beer and Bitcoin events at, at a brewery. And this was a, like a private meeting, meeting room where we could all just have our privacy and chat. And we could have, like if we wanted to, there was an area like we could have done some PowerPoint presentations. It was great. And uh, yeah, the, meeting the guy who was running it, he's, uh, he's super solid. And it I does think- seem that way. He occurs that way on the Telegram, and it's yeah, that's it, revealing of his true personality. You know, you could tell pretty much just like exchanging like five messages. You can like pretty much. You can tell, tell pretty quick. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Just just seeing him in person, I was like, okay, I I know what's about to happen. And I messaged him afterwards and offered him like I like if he wanted to merge the groups together and like you can become. I'll make you an admin of the meetup group. It's like I was I was already kind of stepping back, and this is your boating accident. Yeah, that's a, I'm, you're right. I'm I'm in the process of having a boating accident at the moment, um, but fortunately, yeah, like I think he's gonna step. He's gonna be awesome to step forward and take some of the, take up some of the slack of what I've been uh, I've been leaving go. Seems that way. But yeah, yeah, that's cool. I'm gonna make him an admin, and then he's. All, I'm, I'm, I think I'm probably gonna make him an admin of the Telegram group as well. Just uh, and then. Yeah, no, it's good. It was a, it was a good conversation. There was there was a couple a couple like new coin no coiners there that were that were curious. Um, yeah, we, we went around and like and I I had people install Moon Wallet and we did some demonstration lightning transactions back and forth. Yeah, you know I think there's a vibe when at the at the beer and pizza places too, but I've told you about it's yeah it's a it's a different energy. Like I've told you about the Lancaster location. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've ever mentioned it to you. It's like really good. I mean you, it's it's a it's almost like a private office space and we show up. There's you know and you just pretty much. It's pretty much freewheeling conversation, and there's nobody else there. That's not yeah. That's I'd I'd like to have something like the Bitcoin Commons in in the area. Like that that seems like something that the area could could benefit from. Yes, I, I was I've I've thought about turning my own house into like that kind of a museum, you know, where we could just demo. I wanted to do a meetup. I've been thinking about this, where it's like a show and tell meetup, where people come. Maybe once a month, and it's an open mic, almost like where you ex- you expect to demo what you're working on. Show me what you're working on in Bitcoin. And it might be like I learned how to send it a fucking. I learned how to send sats off my cold card. That's and really cool. Like, I like just it. To like, demo it. Like a show and tell phase at, at meetups. I love that. Yeah, it could just be like, and it could just be people doing. I think that it'd be good for people to know um, that there would be an audience to hear. You know, to hear what they are doing, 
and that people just show up and sort of be supportive. That's a really good idea. That. If if we had a dedicated space like that, that would be a really cool thing to do. I like that a lot. So that's where you, you really should check out the Lancaster meetup because Shadrach's um, office space could definitely be a place for people to do to, for people to do that. Mm-hmm. I know it's a little far. It's not that far though for you. No, it's about an hour. It, yeah. It's far enough that it's like I want something local. I need I need I need I mean, a local. Clubhouse. I know I, I I get it. I totally get yeah. it. I want something local here where I live. I am very thankful um, that, it's, that it's being put together though. But like when I when when you go into the space, you start to see like it could it could be way more than just. Soon.